And the question for this week is, what happens when we die? We know that we're all going to die unless Jesus returns first. Uh, unless your name is Enoch or Elijah, you are not likely to leave this earth without first passing through death. So uh, the, the real question is not, not whether or not we're going to die. The real question is, after we die, then what? Then what happens? So it's a very important question, and we're going to dive into that, and I invite you to join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that this is a, a challenging, difficult message, um, and it's based upon what you teach in your word, the Bible, that we trust as our rule for faith and practice, and uh, Lord, there's a lot of people that have many different opinions as to what happens when we die. But Lord, we don't look to man's opinion because those are a dime a dozen. Lord, we look for our true north compass, which is the Word of God, the Bible. So Lord, teach us and show us from your Word just what your Word says about the truth of what happens when each human being passes uh, from this life into eternity. Lord, I pray for the unction of your Holy Spirit. We pray for the filling and, and the zeal that comes with that. Lord, speaking the truth with passion, in love, with grace and truth. And Lord, we pray also for every listener to be attentive, to, to, to tune in and to catch uh, what is being communicated today. And Lord, we pray that your Spirit will penetrate every heart and communicate exactly what you want us to know. And Lord, we pray that we respond in the way that you want us to. We give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what happens when we die? As the old joke goes, there's only two sure things in life, death and taxes. In fact, on this planet Earth, even today, three people on planet Earth die every, every single second. 11,000 people die an hour. That means that from the time this church service began, over 5,000 people have already passed from this life into eternity. So unless, as I said, unless your name is Enoch or Elijah, who are both caught up into heaven without dying, you are very likely going to die unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to earth first before you pass away. So the real question isn't whether we're going to die. The real question is, since we're going to die, what is going to happen then? What happens when we die? Now, you get, there's a lot of questions that go with that question. A question such as, do we just, quote, go out of existence like a candle that's being snuffed out? Do we go and unite with the universe like a drop that is just joined back to the ocean after we die? So we just pass from and join back to the universe, but we lose our own personal identity? Are we reincarnated as another life form, whether or not we remember it? I always thought it's funny when people believe in reincarnation and they say they're reincarnated. They always seem to choose some famous person from the past, right? Don't they? Some royalty, some king or queen or president or famous person. They, ne they never choose, yeah, I was a poor beggar in Poland in the, in the 14th century and, and I didn't do anything with my life and it was hard from beginning to end. You know, they never say something like that. It's always like, oh, I was King George back in England in the early 1700s, you know? Not very credible, in my opinion. Um, another question, uh, what about 
our spirit, the, 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 the life that animates our physical body? Do our spirits live on in the afterlife? And if so, will we retain our own identity? Will we have memories of our life here on this earth? And here's the bonus question. Will we be able to recognize other people after our life on earth is finished? So as you can see, there's a lot of sub-questions that go along with that big question, what happens when we die? Now, the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't leave us in the dark. There is a story that Jesus tells us from the other side. It is from Luke's gospel in chapter 16. I invite you to, to go there if you have, a, if you have your, your own Bible or a copy of the scriptures in front of you. If you have your smartphone or a tablet, you can go there electronically and find Luke chapter 16. We're going to be kind of camping there this morning from verses 19 through verses 31. So uh, this is an amazing passage of scripture that Jesus tells us, this parable of the rich man and Lazarus from the other side. You might ask, why do I call it amazing? Well, because within this teaching of the, the story of Jesus, most all of the questions that I just asked before, those questions are answered. In Luke 16, Jesus tells us an unforgettable story about a man who was very rich. And you can see the, the first verse as Jesus introduces the story up on the screen. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Jesus starts out by telling about this incredibly wealthy man who lived the high life. He lived in a wealthy estate. He wore the finest clothes. He ate the richest foods. He lived in luxury every day of his life. And he probably had many servants to do his bidding. And then Jesus also says, comparing this life of this rich man, he brings up this other character named Lazarus, and he says, just outside the gates of this rich man's estate, there was a second man, an incredibly poor, economically challenged man named Lazarus, who was a beggar. It says, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, in the Jewish culture, the dogs were not considered a clean animal. So if a dog is coming and licking you and your sores, I mean, that's even making you more unclean and more rejected by, uh, by good, uh, godly Jewish society. So this poor man had nothing. Um, right outside, this poor man was perpetually hungry. He was malnourished. He was starving to death. And the name, it's interesting because his name was Lazarus. This is the only man in all the parables that Jesus told. This is the only man who's actually named. And the name Lazarus, it's ironic, the name Lazarus means God has helped. And the, of course, the man was praying that God would help him, but there's certainly no indication that this rich, affluent man where this beggar was laying outside his gates, this rich, affluent man ever did anything to help Lazarus. So now the time comes when both of these men die and they pass away from this life. It says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. It's very interesting. Abraham's side was seen as the home of the righteous. 
the abode where after death somebody would go to a place of blessing, awaiting the final resurrection, this place between the time that we die and the time of the final resurrection when God brings his judgment on every human being. And it's called Abraham's side. Jesus refers it uh, by another name when Jesus is on the cross. Do you remember that story about Jesus where he's got the two thieves and Jesus is in the middle and the one thief says, hey, if you're the son of God, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you come down on the cross? Save yourself, save us. And the other thief on the cross tells him to be quiet because these two criminals, they're only getting the, uh, the just punishment for their crimes. But then the, the, the one thief on the cross recognizes Jesus and says, but this man has done no wrong. And he says, he says, Lord, would you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? Remember he asked that, Jesus that question? You remember what Jesus responded to him? He says, I tell you the truth, today... Notice he doesn't say, you know, uh, at, the, at the resurrection of the dead. He doesn't say years and years and years from now. He doesn't even say three days from now. He says, today I tell you the truth. You will be with me where? In paradise. So paradise is another synonym uh, to indicate Abraham's side, this place of blessing when they died. Now that's where the beggar went. So the beggar who had this terrible life uh, here on earth, suffering, there's this um, stunning reversal, and now the beggar is at Abraham's side immediately after dying. Now, what about the rich man? Where did he go? So it says, uh, the rich man also died and was buried, but he was not at Abraham's side. Even with all his wealth and resources, this fabulously wealthy guy on earth, he couldn't evade death. By the way, did anybody see the Golden Globe Awards last Sunday night? My wife and I watched those. And uh, in the Golden Globe Awards, uh, there was a special tribute given to an old royalty Hollywood actor. His name is Kirk Douglas. You might know, remember Kirk Douglas from Spartacus. Uh, you remember how strong and vigorous and mighty and successful and confident Kirk Douglas just oozed confidence. A man's man, masculine. If you saw him at the Golden Globes, it would break your heart. He came up there. He was in a wheelchair. He was 101 years old. His head was tilting to the side. He, he just looked like he was near death. And I thought to myself, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, it doesn't matter how strong and successful and vigorous you are in this life. Time does not stand still uh, for any man. Certainly did not do it for Kirk Douglas. So this, even as wealthy as this man was, uh, dressed in purple and fine linen, he couldn't evade death. Both the rich man and Lazarus die, maybe, perhaps even on the same day or during the same uh, week of time. They're both buried, and now they both must, must face what awaits them on the other side. I think Jesus' point of the parable, one of Jesus' points is, we're all going to die. And then what? And how are we going to be prepared for the then what? Sometimes people die as a child and they, sometimes they die in the prime of their life and sometimes a person doesn't die until they're 100 or maybe even more than 100. I remember the story of this one woman. She was 95 years old and she was a, a, a committed Christ follower and she came up to her pastor and she said something like, Pastor, I hope I die pretty soon. And he says, he says, really, why would you say that? And he says, well, I hope I die pretty soon so that all my friends will know that I actually made it to heaven. 
question is, what happens when we die? What can we learn from Jesus here in this parable? I think that Jesus points out at least three important truths from this parable. First of all, the first thing is that when we die, number one, you will be wide awake. You will have a consciousness when you die. Number two, you will be filled with either one of two things. You're either going to be filled with tremendous gratitude or you're going to be filled with enormous regret. And then number three, you will reflect on your life here on earth with crystal clarity, with crystal clarity. So let's go to that first point. You will be wide awake when you die. Jesus just said that both the beggar Lazarus and the rich man had died, right? So Jesus continued talking about this rich man after death, and it says these words in verse 23, it says, in Hades, or in hell, some of the translations are, but I don't like the translation of hell because Hades and hell are two different uh, places. In Hades, where he was in torment, and I, I don't want to rush by that one either. In Hades, where he was in torment, in other words, it was not a pleasant place to be. It was not, uh, you know, uh, on a cloud with the angels with a harp. It, he was in a place that was... Uh, a place of suffering, a place of punishment. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he was wide awake. He was conscious. He knew what was going on. And not only did he, did he know that he was in a bad place, but he still had the ability to look out over this chasm and far away see that beggar Lazarus that used to be outside of his own gate suffering. And now Lazarus was in a good place and in, in paradise at Abraham's bosom with Abraham. But on the other side of this chasm, there was no delay. There was no uh, from the time they died, from the time they woke up to Hades or in paradise, you know. So when you die, it, the Bible's very clear. When you die, your spirit immediately goes to the other side. There is no time delay. There is no intermediate state. There's no, quote, limbo. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory mentioned in the Bible, this place where you have to go to suffer for your sins a little bit more before you'll be allowed to go into heaven. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention any of those places. It, the Bible says that your soul does not go to sleep awaiting for the second coming of Christ. Jesus says it clearly here. This rich man was in Hades, in Hades. Now, Hades is different from hell. Hades is this place that people go to who are not in Christ, who have not been saved by grace through faith. It is people outside God's family where they go uh, uh, between our physical death and Jesus' return, when all, when all those who died in Christ are resurrected. So Hades is not the same as hell. Hades is a waiting place, but it's not a waiting place where somebody's just asleep and, and awaiting to be resurrected. They have consciousness. They are wide awake. After you die, you'll be wide awake. This rich man who had everything on earth, now he's in Hades, and the Bible says, and he was in torment. So you'll be wide awake when what happens after you die. That's point number one. Let's go to the second point. At that moment of awake, conscious awareness, you and I are either going to be filled with one or two of these powerful emotions. 
you're either going to be filled with tremendous gratitude or you're going to be filled with enormous regret. You see this stunning reversal for this rich man and Lazarus right after we died. The, the, the beggar had nothing on earth and now he's in paradise. This rich man who cared nothing for anybody but himself and was closed to the idea of, of following God and doing, you know, loving his neighbor as yourself and even helping somebody like Lazarus, he was now in a place of torment in Hades. So in Hades, it says in verse 23 and 24, in Hades where he, talking about the rich man, was in torment, he looks up and he sees Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him and he said, Father Abraham, you can almost picture across a wide chasm. And he says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tongue of the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in these flame, in this fire. Now, before we draw the wrong conclusion, I want to point out something about the rich man. Because somebody's going to say, oh, the rich man died. And because he was rich, that's why he's in Hades, because he was wealthy. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible does not say that wealth that this guy had in life, wealth was not his problem with God. He didn't go to Hades because he had money and influence and affluence. I mean... You remember he points out to Lazarus and he sees Lazarus is next to Abraham, right? Abraham is on the good side. Abraham is in paradise, right? And he says, Father Abraham, what do we know about Abraham? Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham was one of the wealthiest men of his generation. So he was wealthy back in the book of Genesis, but Abraham's wealth did not keep him out of heaven. And why? Because the Bible says very clearly that Abraham honored God with his money and wealth. And this formerly rich guy's problem, and I say formerly because, yeah, he was a rich man when he was on earth, but he certainly turned into a very spiritually impoverished man when he gets to the other side. And so this man's problem wasn't his wealth. His problem was he never responded to the God who gave him life and the God who gave him purpose for living, to love God with all his heart, to love his neighbor as himself. The man did neither. The, the rich man, while he was on earth, never thought about anybody but himself, including God. And friends, I say this to you with all compassion. I'm telling you, depending on where, on where you are spiritually right now, depending on where you are now spiritually, you will wake up and you will have consciousness in eternity. You will be either filled like this rich man with, with either enormous regret or you'll be like the beggar at Abraham's side. You'll be filled with tremendous gratitude. And the Bible says this very clearly. There is no neutral here. There is no middle ground. This is the only passage in the Bible that gives us the thoughts and emotions and words of a person who is in Hades awaiting final judgment. So the rich man says, I am in agony in this fire. And right after he died, the rich man who was never responsive to the activity of God, he's filled with enormous regret because there's no going back now. There's no chance to do a second take. There's no, there's no uh, you know, reset the clock and let's start over. His eternity is sealed and now it is irreversible. So look what happens next. Remember? Remember what his request was? Hey, Father Abraham, please, I'm in agony in this fire. Please just send Lazarus over to me and have him uh, 
put the tip of his finger in some water to cool my tongue so I won't be in such agony in his fire. Look what happens next. Abraham replies to him and he says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. In other words, this Lazarus, this beggar, now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Wow, that is a, a tremendously sad piece of scripture to say that, that, that heaven is fixed after death. There is no coming over from one side to the other. The Bible's very clear. It says there's a great chasm of separation between this formerly rich man who's now in agony and Lazarus who is now with Abraham in a place of bliss and comfort on the other side. And for anybody in Hades, there is going to be this enormous regret over the missed opportunities that they had in their life to seek God, to find Him, to get right with God, to embrace God's grace that He's offering in Christ Jesus, to be able to follow Christ Jesus wholeheartedly instead of ignoring Him or doing something else with your life. So the Bible is clear that for those who do respond to God's amazing grace through His Son, their experience when they die they're not going to be dying with enormous regret. They're going to be dying and having tremendous gratitude, probably singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay, let's ask, let's ask and try to answer some other questions about what happens when we die. They, people wonder, okay, so when we die, will we have bodies in heaven? Will we have like physical bodies in heaven or are we just going to be like these apparitions that you see in movies and stuff, these ghosts where they look like they're there but you put your finger or your arm right through them because they're not physical bodies. They're just sort of these floating spirits. No, the Bible says that we're going to be, uh, we're going to have physical bodies. Uh, that's good news. The Bible says we're going to have physical resurrected bodies. Not the same bodies that we have here on earth. And that could be very good news in this day when so many people are unhappy with their physical bodies. So many people today are trying to do these extreme physical makeovers. You know, this is a joke, so I'm going to say this ahead of time so you'll know that I'm not being serious here. There was a, uh, a choir and they were singing this old choir song in church and the women were singing about heaven and, and they were singing, we will have new bodies. And the men in the choir responded, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, of course, that joke could be taken vice versa too, so I understand that. These bodies that we have here on earth, they're eventually all going to break down. But these bodies that we have here on earth, they're going to be turned in for eternal, super healthy versions of ourselves. And our model for this is Jesus. And the Bible says we're going to be like him. Uh, the Bible says that when Jesus was resurrected, he invited his followers. He says, hey, come check out the, the nail piercings in my hands. Check out the wound in his side. Yes, they saw the scars in his body. But his resurrected body was also different from their body. How do we know that? Well, the, the, the doors were locked. The room was closed. And yet Jesus appeared right to them. So apparently he could go through 
physical doors and walls in his resurrected body. Jesus ascended into heaven with his resurrected body in the presence of his disciples on the top of the Mount of Olives. You can read that in Acts chapter 1. He could transcend time and space. And here's the good news, because you say, well, Christ, of course, he had a resurrected body. He's the son of God. But what about the rest of us? The promises in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, look what he says. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is some great news, especially for some of us, some of you who live in chronic physical pain in your body every day. Heaven is going to be pain-free. Heaven will be Tylenol-free. Heavenly will be sciatica-free. Heavenly is going to be arthritis-free. Remember my great-aunt one time. She died about 30 years ago, Aunt Anna. She was born in the year 1900, and she died in the 1980s. And Aunt Anna said, uh, after, she'd been a widow about 10 years. And Aunt Anna said, Jim, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm down to three boyfriends in life. I said, oh boy, what's this, what's this all about? And Anna, you have three boyfriends? She says, yep, down to three boyfriends. Ben Gay, Charlie Horse, and Arthritis. So that was her big joke. She was a good Baptist. All her jokes were clean. So anyway, we're, we're going to have bodies that they're going to be quick and fit and perfect. People who are deaf are going to be able to hear clearly Somebody who has vision problems now, they're going to be gone. The people are going to be able of body and mind. Those who sit in wheelchairs now, they're going to be able to get up out of the wheelchairs and run and skip. And I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to see that happen for people and to celebrate that with them in the resurrection. So will we have physical bodies in the resurrection? Yes. Another question that comes up, will we be able to recognize each other in heaven? And the answer to that is yes. And you say, well, you say, yes, but you haven't been on the other side of death. How do you know? I say, yes, based upon this story. Because in this story that Jesus tells, the rich man recognized Lazarus. The rich man recognized Abraham. Abraham and Lazarus recognized this rich man. And I say, we should by now start saying the formerly rich man. So they recognized, the disciples recognized that it was Jesus in his resurrected body. And I don't, don't worry, uh, I think you'll be able to recognize me too in heaven because I'm going to be the guy who's jumping up and down and skipping and saying this is awesome, amazing grace, I want you to know, I'll come up to you and make sure you know it's me because I want you to know that I made it there. Now friends, that's true, some of us who are in great pain now, physically, some of us who are in great pain emotionally and spiritually, relationally, financially, we need to hear these words. It says in Revelation that in the resurrection, in the new heaven, when Jesus is bringing the new heaven and the new earth, he says these words. He says, God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's going to be amazing. No more empty tissue boxes because you know what? We won't even need them. And you notice who the Bible says is going to, who the Bible says is the person who's going to wipe away all those tears when we get to heaven? It's going to be God himself. It's going to be the Lord Jesus. So let's review what we've learned so far about this passage in Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. 
We've learned that right after you die, the first thing is you're going to be wide awake. The second thing is you're going to be filled with either tremendous gratitude or enormous regret. And then third, you will reflect on your life here on earth with crystal clarity. Right after you die, you will have crystal clarity on what mattered most, what really mattered during your lifetime. It's too bad that people can't have that crystal clarity about what matters most in the lifetime this side of, of eternity. That's what Jesus wants for everyone. When people look back on their lives, what do you think they will have regretted the most? Well, probably not being on good terms with friends or family members or loved ones, not forgiving other people when they should have. People will regret the years that they wasted before they got right with God. People will regret the things they shouldn't have done but, but did or things that they should have done but didn't do. And for this formerly rich man, the biggest regret of all has to be this. Oh, how I wish I had got right and reconciled myself to God. Why? Why didn't I do that? And so the formerly rich man, he's reflecting on his life with crystal clarity. He's, he's got this enormous regret, and he thinks about his life back on earth, and he realizes that his family members are still alive. And so this, this rich man, who really didn't care about anybody else in life except himself, all of a sudden there's an urgency in this rich man's voice, and he starts to become an evangelist. Look what he says. He says, in verse 27 and 28, to Abraham, he says, then I beg you, Father Abraham, look at the urgency there, then I beg you, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Wow, he cared about his family. Somebody's got to tell my brothers. Somebody's got to tell them that this place, Hades or hell, is real and that real people go there. Abraham, please pull out all the stops. Do whatever has to be done to keep my brothers from coming to this place. I don't know when you read these words, when, when I read these and I think about the story Jesus is telling from the other side, they cut me pretty deep. Right after this man died, he had crystal clarity on what matters most, and it wasn't his bank account, it wasn't all the stuff that he collected, it wasn't his, his fancy clothes, his purple and fine linen. What mattered the most to this person on the other side was people. And you know why? Because people are the only thing on this planet that is going to live forever. And here's the really big one that's probably my greatest fear, that far too many people this side of heaven, far too many people right after they die are going to say something very similar to what this man said. Why? They're going to say, why didn't I respond to the work of Jesus Christ in my life while I still had the opportunity? Because according to Jesus in this story, by the time that you and I die, it will be too late. Now, that's not good news. The good news for us that are still here, still hearing this message, still alive on this planet Earth, the beauty of this message for you today is that you still can respond to the good news message about Jesus. You still can turn away from your sins to God in humble faith. You still can trust in Jesus Christ to be your forgiver and leader. There's still time for you. It's not too late. The Bible's very clear about dying. 
and what happens after death. In other passages, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, it says, just as man is destined to die once. Of course, that answers the question of reincarnation. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. After that to face judgment. How about all, those, all that future judgment on people who refuse to accept and follow Jesus? What's going to happen to them? You see, after Christ returns, there's going to be a universal judgment on all the people who did not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. It's a very sobering passage. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And in Revelation 20, the words are this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And here is the, probably one of the most sobering passages of Scripture in the book of Revelation. It says this in verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Those are sobering, sobering words. You wonder about God. You wonder about God throwing someone into or tip, tip, putting someone into hell and having them be thrown into the lake of fire. And you think to yourself, God, I thought you were a God of love. I thought you were a God of grace. I thought you were a God who, who would rather save people. Doesn't the Bible say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world? Doesn't it say God sent his son into the world to save the world through him? Yes, it does. We know that God is love, but God is love is not the only attribute that God has. The Bible also says God is holy and God is just and God does not let sin go unpunished. And so the Bible does say that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So there is hope. And here's the question for you today. If you want to have no real lasting regrets when you die, then I urge you, Today, please make sure, make sure today that you get right with God before it's your last day here on earth. Make sure that you have done what God wants you to do. And here's what God wants you to do. It's very simple. It's in the book of Romans. It's one of those great passages that define what it means to be a Christ follower. It's how God wants us to respond to his message, his good news message of grace. It says this, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's something you do publicly. It's not a private. It's not, oh, in my heart alone, just me and God. Yeah, that's where it begins. But eventually you go public. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the great hope. That's the hope of our God of love that doesn't want anybody to go there. And as that, uh, go back to that last verse where I tried to explain, and I said, well, you think what, what is God's attitude toward the people who are perishing? The Bible says in 2 Peter, God's not willing that any should perish, but all will come to repentance. Even in the Old Testament, it says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather... And this is the chance for all of us today, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. You want to turn from your ways and live? You want to live with no regrets? 
You want to, to uh, pass from this life and wake up in eternity and you're going to be at Abraham's side. You're going to be with Jesus in paradise rather than in Hades. Then it's time to respond to God's offer of salvation today. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we want to thank you for your gospels. We want to thank you that we have these stories that Jesus told that give us clarity, that reveal to us what is going to happen after we die. Thank you for the clarity of this story. And Lord, we want to bow before you humbly. We want to be in a right relationship with you. We want to turn away from whatever it was we were following before. And in humility, we turn back to you and we say yes to following your son, Jesus. Lord, today I commit myself, I commit my life to becoming an authentic follower of Jesus. God, please forgive me of all my sins and wrongdoings. Lord, set me on a new path of faith as I walk with you. Lord, teach me to live the way that you want me to live. Lord, give me the peace. Lord, I just pray for that peace and assurance that I can have so that someday that when my time on earth is done, then I will have that peace that I know because of the promise of your word. I know that I will be with you forever in heaven. Lord, all these things we pray in the powerful, resurrected name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.